0: Called mind-blowing. We've been called the source of news for all things pirates, and we've also been called, eh? It wasn't bad. We're coming to you from just west of the Ward Place Gate on the San Diego campus of Seton Hall University, from the LCP Studios. We are live, Left Coast Pirates live. He is Mike Dizzy DeZerey, class of 2001, favorite son of Marlboro, New Jersey. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, favorite son of Maplewood, New Jersey, and we are Left Coast Pirates. How are you feeling today, Mike?
1: Good to be back, Tom, and very excited to take on a new segment today. Here we have a special guest interview lined up.
0: And we did say we were going to try to do this after Out of Conference was done, but we had such a big reaction. We had double digit downloads my friend we're and it's not even just from the east coast or the west coast we're international we're big in australia like mike said we are excited for this podcast we have a big surprise we have ourselves the first left coast pirates former player interview and it will be here in a few seconds so mike what else is going on we just had a a scrimmage against boston college
1: it was, uh, from what I read, it was kind of encouraging. I mean, it, it's hard to get too excited over those scrimmages. Sometimes all you get to read about is the, uh, the box score that they publish and some firsthand accounts. But what I saw in that box score itself and some of the, uh, the fans that were kind of posting on some of the blog sites, we might get some contributions from guys that we didn't expect as we were kind of picking through the roster on our first podcast. We were talking about hopefully just getting five fouls from a rogue the, gill, uh, the Juco transfer, seven-footer in the center. And he put up 10 points, five rebounds, multiple blocks. Said he was changing shots in the paint. I mean, that's that's kind of encouraging.
0: It is. And, you know, it is a scrimmage. Let's not get too excited. But it was Boston College. This is a legit team. But we were
1: we were on their campus. And from what, what I read, we controlled the game start to finish. I believe the Pirates won by 11 in the end. And on top of that, they played without their second best player, Torian Thompson, who we'd be, we were hoping for some big contributions from. And without him in the lineup, we still represented pretty well. Exciting stuff, exciting stuff.
0: But let's not wait any longer. Let's give an introduction to our first interview. He was a four-year player for the Pirates, playing for both the legendary P.J. Carlissimo and George Mulaney. After graduating, he spent some time on coaching staffs at Kane University, DePaul, and Hartford. Less well-known, everybody. He played his high school ball for Roselle Catholic, and he was the leading scorer on the Rec League Legends, the Original Wolves. It is my pleasure and honor to introduce Linden, New Jersey's favorite son, J.Y., John Yablonski. John, how are you? Hey, guys. How you doing?
2: I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, just hanging here in New Jersey, uh, normal Saturday afternoon with the kids, uh, had some basketball as usual early today, and and uh, just relaxing here.
0: Excellent. Uh, so we'll start off, John. Most importantly, how are you feeling?
2: Uh, I'm doing good. Um, I guess for for those who don't know, I in January, I uh, while coaching a game with my sons, I had uh, uh, I had a little unfortunate medical issue. I had a stroke, but I've come back. Everything's normal. I'm still playing here and there coaching my kids. So uh, I feel great. Everything's good.
0: Well, God bless. That's wonderful. So let's get going
1: here. Mikey. All right. So, I mean, I, I, people know that nowadays people are getting recruited and it's, it's the AAU circuit, but you, you joined the Pirates as a walk-on. Kind of take the audience through kind of the life of a walk-on. How, how, do, you, how do you make the team? What, what's the process? Everybody always has kind of like a special backstory. So how do you become a Pirate?
2: Okay, Um, I can give you that. That's pretty easy. Nowadays, a lot of times there's um, uh, preferred walk-ons who actually know they're going to be a walk-on as they come to campus. Um, That wasn't my case when I was there. Uh, My first year, um, the Pirates were really good. The 92-93 team with Terry DeHair uh, win the Big East Championship that year, so I was not on the team that year. But my second year, um, I was asked by one of the former Pirates, uh, Chris Davis, who I got to know and be friendly with, uh, he had told me that there was tryouts um, for a walk-on spot, and I actually found out there was going to be two spots. So there was about 30 individuals that were invited through people they knew or the coaches to come out and try for those two spots. So Chris Davis is actually the one who asked me to come out for the team, uh, and he had saw me play in the rec center many times, uh, probably because he was in there playing too, which he shouldn't have been as a recruitable athlete, but – We'll uh, leave that one for another time.
0: Now, now John, maybe it's urban legend at this point, or maybe how it's my old mind uh, working, but didn't you have uh, some doubts about even trying out?
2: Yeah, I mean, just from coming from a team that, um, you know, obviously had such great players in Terry DeHair and and Jerry Walker and even Luther Wright and and, uh, the such, I just didn't know if I was good enough really to be on the team. I mean, I was getting recruited at a high school to play Division three basketball, but didn't really have Division one thoughts in my mind. But you know that my first year, all I did was play basketball when I wasn't in school, um, obviously or class. So uh, you know I did have some doubts just because it was it's big time basketball. It's the Big East.
1: Yeah. All right. So so you mentioned thirty guys that were potentially trying out for the, these two spots. Walk me through that setting. Was where you kind of just thrown into the into the deep fryer with these thirty guys and you know, put through drills or, you know, five-on-five, five, or did you get integrated with some of the starters just to see if you could hang with the Division One level players?
2: Yeah, so of the 30 players, I probably knew most of the guys just because they all played in the rec center, um, and obviously the guys who would come to this tryout were guys who were there all the time. There was a handful of guys who maybe were who went to Seton Hall but never came there, and they were just trying out for the team. Not sure how they got invited, but... Um, so is the case. So they put us through a lot of drills and actually Bruce hamburger, who was the assistant coach at the time, who is now the assistant uh, coach at uh, Fairleigh Dickinson up in Teaneck. He was the one who actually ran the tryout and it was basically all basic drills, right handed layups, left handed layups, defensive slides. And all I could remember is just. You know, Do all the basic stuff. Do them correctly. Don't try to skip lines, not touch lines. Just do everything you can possible to control um, potentially making the team. And then later on, we had played five-on-five five unwell. But it was a lot of drills, um, and then onto the five-on-five on five games.
1: Was there any point throughout the tryouts where you're like, hey, I, I can <laughs> hang with these guys, or, you know what, Th- this spot might be mine?
2: Yeah, you know what, I felt pretty comfortable after a while, because, I mean, I knew... When it came down to being, you know, coachable and doing the drills and things that they were asking me to do, well, I can do all those things. And then along the five-on-five lines, those are all the guys I played with in the rec center religiously, and I knew I was very competitive, if not maybe one of the better 30 that were there. So I figured just do what you do, and, and, you know, after the first half of the tryout, I thought, well, maybe I got a chance of of making it.
0: And make it you did. Um, Now – Tell us, what's the life of a walk-on like? You know, we always have this idea of what scholarship athletes have. They have their dining facilities. They have the better facilities in general. What's it like to be a walk-on?
2: Well, you know, coming in, um, I was obviously a regular student, so I didn't have any preferential treatment in terms of dorms, so I was just with my friends. And then when we went to practice, actually, um, they told me after the first week, yeah, You made it through the walk-on tryout but we're going to have you practice with the team and if you don't you know you aren't up to a standard a certain standard to practice with the guys in the team then we may go through the walk on tryout again so just because I made it through the top 30 didn't mean I necessarily was on the team so all I knew is every day I had to go there and do the things that I could compete with I didn't think that at that time the Danny Hurley's and the Brian Cavers of the world I can compete with on a talent level but could I out hustle those guys and can I do other little things that I thought I could be on a Fair level with, and, and that's what I did. So, you know, there were some times after that first week that were that were rough. I had some rough practices just because the level of competition I had never faced like that, but, you know, I kept grinding it, kept grinding it, doing those little things, and, and eventually they told me I was on the team for for good, which is obviously what the, what the goal was.
1: All right, so along the same lines of the question I asked before, so as you're going through the tryouts, you're like, all right, I, I know I belong. Now you make the team and they tell you, you made the team, but you really haven't made the team if we decide that you're not up to snuff. <laughs> Was there a defining moment in practice where you like made a play or you, know, you blocked the guy or picked the guy's pocket where you're like, I, I can hang?
2: Yeah, there was a few plays, you know, as a walk-on when they when for practice-wise, you get to do all the drills, but then when it comes to the 5-on-5 stuff up and down where they're working on plays and the press and everything else that you're going to do during the game, you don't get a lot of repetition just because they don't expect you to get into the game that much. So, it's a lot of watching, but that I took as a positive because I got to watch everything that was happening and I tried to learn, know all the plays. So every time I was asked to do something, I felt like I was capable of at least knowing the situations and doing that. And there were a few, you know, a few things that I did, you know, loose ball hustles and make some passes and make an open shot. Maybe not physically outwork guys in terms of like being stronger or getting up the, you know, down the middle and finishing on a big guy. But I did all the little things that I think I can do, which I felt like, hey, if I just do, do those things, then, you know, I can I can be here.
0: Historically, and it's doc- well documented in several books, that P.J. was a hard-ass even on his best players. What's he like to the walk-ons? Um,
2: you know what? He didn't pay a ton of ten- attention to us. I mean, obviously, you know, we were there and we would jump in. If we did something wrong, he was on us just as much as he was anyone else. Um, because we didn't get a lot of reps um, – you know, he, there wasn't a lot of things in 5-on-5 five five that he had to worry about us with. But, you know, Bruce Hamburger was kind of the guy who obviously had the walk-ons on the team and did the tryout, so he was the one that was always kind of in, us, in our ear to kind of help us or get us through things. But, you know, PJ in general did hold everybody to a standard, and whether you were a walk-on or a scholarship player, I mean, you had to, you had to live up to that.
0: So what was, what was your actual first game as a walk-on? Who, who did you get time against?
2: Um, my first game as a walk on was against Iona. Um, we had played them in the Meadowlands. It was one of the first first few games of the year. Um, I don't think it was the first game exactly, but maybe the second or third. And we had uh, we had won that. We had won by like five. Uh, uh, I mean, we had won by like fifty points. So they got in the game at like forty points up and. You know, everybody's trying to get me the ball so I can jack it up, and uh, I wound up scoring on, on two free throws in the game. So did that was my a, first uh, points.
1: Did you have a kind of special cheering crowd from, like, your, your college campus buddies that, you know, would, would come to the game? And you have any nicknames they call you or anything like that?
2: Oh, yeah, those guys all would come to the game, especially when they knew I made the team. So, uh, you know, the regular crowd probably didn't know who I was right in the beginning just because I was new to the team. Um, but all my, all my friends did, and, and PJ actually gave me the nickname of, of, of JY because we had another player, uh, John Leahy, who was on the team, and uh, he called him John, so he didn't want to keep calling both of us the same name. So he asked me, well, what do you want to be called? And I knew that he had called Adrian Griffin AG in practice, so I just said, why don't you call me JY? So that's where the JY came um, to fruition. And that was because of PJ.
0: So, so wait a minute, hold on a second. You, you, he didn't give you that name. You gave yourself the nickname, Johnny. Come on.
2: Well, yeah, well, he, well, he put the pressure on me to do it. So, uh, (laughs) I didn't really have a nickname prior to that. So, you know, the first thing I thought in my head was, Hey, my initials, let's just do it that way. And and that's kind of where it came from. And I still have everybody calling me that to this day.
1: All right, well, if, if you could indulge me, I'd like to kind of do this next question and kind of go down memory lane. Uh, I want to set the stage for the audience. It's February 6th, 1996. The The game settings at the Lewis Brown Athletic Center on the campus of Rutgers. Adrian Griffin, uh, the Pirate great, uh, goes off for a team high 23 that night. The Hall actually goes on to out-rebound the Scarlet Knights, 59-35, to tying a Big East record for margin of rebound in a game at 24. But the Pirates also... Committed twenty turnovers and unfortunately fell to the to the Scarlet Knights that night, seventy to sixty one. But like any game within a game in that series, there always seems to be a, another backstory. And uh, specifically that night, midway through the first half in that game, starting point guard Danny Hurley dies for a ball, bangs heads with a Rutgers player, tries to return to the game minutes later, but you know the training staff just sees that he's not right, and it and it kind of sets the stage for I, I mean for what. I believe is your shining moment as a pirate. Would you like to take the rest of the audience down your experience and, and describe kind of what what took place after that?
2: Sure. Um, you know, the day we went in there to the warm up um, when we first got to the rack, uh, I usually was always the first player out on the court. I just figured, hey, I'm a walk on. Four years is all I get. I'm gonna milk the most time out of being, you know, wherever arena we were or practice. So I always ran in, put on my uniform, put on my shoes first one out there so one of my buddies actually uh jeff Wack, was a manager at the time and he would come out and and, uh rebound with me so i started shooting and you know great players talk about being in the zone and i'm not considering myself a great player but it was probably one of the only times in my life where i felt like every shot i took even in the warm-up was going in and i I actually told my friend jeff i said jeff i feel like I, i could just throw it in the ocean and it's going in today So, you know, that was the warm-up, but I was making all my shots. So the game came, never thought I would play. And then, as you mentioned, Danny got hurt, and I got the opportunity. And, you know, I made made one or two uh, to get me going, and then I wound up making – but uh, you know super confident after my warm-up and it kind of continued into the game so to say that was the one and only time I kind of felt like you know untouchable when it comes to the basketball court I think that was it but you know it was it was in the zone what they talk about and and it was pretty cool.
1: Four of eight for the record it's not like you were chucking up and shooting 20% from the field that night you know you're pretty you were pretty dead-eye shooting. Um,
2: Yeah you you know what but but someone had to step up because we weren't playing that well and like I said I I felt good, so I was like, I have just as good a chance as anybody at the time to make a shot, so uh, they started going in, and unfortunately, we didn't We didn't get the W, but um, on a personal level, I mean, it was probably my best game as a college player. I'm not sure
1: if I got my facts straight, but I believe you might have had like 11 career points coming into that game, and you put up 12 that night by itself.
2: Is, is that sound, uh, sound about right? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound so great when you say it like that, but, but yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Hey, you know what, that's
0: mind. 11 more points than Mike scored in his career, so don't worry about it. I don't think I scored 11 points in intramural <laughs> basketball. Well, John, was, hey, that, was, was that game on ESPN?
2: Uh, that game was on ESPN. Um, back then, they used to do Big Monday. Which was always on ESPN, and seven o'clock was always the Big East game. So we had that game, and it was funny that uh, a lot of people had reached out to me after that they had, you know, seen the game because Mondays were big for college basketball, especially locally because it's all the local Big East teams and anybody uh, you know associated with the Big East. So I got a lot of phone calls back in the day. There wasn't cell phones, and there there wasn't social media back then. So uh, it was basically call my answering machine, and that's how I. Uh, Basically, did you, did got you, the messages. Did
1: you have like friends and family set the VCR for all the games just in case that that one shining moment would occur?
2: Um, not really. Um, but I I actually got probably the videotape from the basketball office, so I have you know I have a copy of that. Uh, some of the good ones, but my mom would do it once in a while. But you know that you know when you only score eleven points in however many games I played prior, there was. Very few and far between uh, uh, good footage of me actually making some shots. I
0: I do remember watching that game and screaming at the top of my lungs every time you hit a shot. And, you know, I lived at home. My mother was just like, what are you doing upstairs? And So she was (laughs) – I was like, be quiet. John's going off. So that's great. Yeah,
2: it was was fun. It was fun to come back to campus. I mean, obviously, um, playing Rutgers, you want to win the game because it's a local game. But, um, as I said, on a personal level, you know, my friends were excited. I came in that night, and they were all jumping up and down. And I was probably more mad just because we lost the game, not because I had, you know, 12 points.
0: Uh, outside of that game, which was exciting for everybody, what, what are your best on-court and off-court moments from your time on the team?
2: Um, you know, probably on-court moments. You know, there were some pretty cool players throughout the four years in the Big East, and I was lucky enough, um, you know, to play or even just guard them for a little while so my, my probably number one and, and it's the only one I have on my phone of a picture of me playing is I got to guard Allen Iverson um, which is pretty cool especially that someone who's been in obviously the Hall of Fame for the uh, the NBA uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame and you know he made Jordan look pretty pretty stupid one time so I, I don't feel bad that I got a chance to guard him and I didn't look so good either but um, there's some backstory to that that story too um, and, and if you want to get into that, I can do it. But if not, that's probably one. And I get to guard people like Donovan McNabb, who obviously played at Syracuse um, as a quarterback. I, and was I remember yeah. For the basketball team and went on to quarterback the Eagles and Kerry Kittles of the world and those type of guys. So there were some pretty cool players just to be associated with.
0: Oh, if there's an AI backstory, you've got to tell it.
2: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell them quick because I got two good Georgetown stories. So the, the AI story where we were playing at home, they were up 20. Um, I was put in the game. I didn't know why he was still in the game with two minutes to go or whatever the case may be, but um, I was guarding him. I think the the clock had run down to about uh, 50 seconds, and with a 35-second shot clock, you knew they had to shoot it. So he started to try to go real quick on me, and I got lucky, and I jumped in front of him, and I guessed right. And Donnell Williams, who was one of our former players, was standing on the opposite block, not doing anything, guarding Jerome Williams, who wound up being an NBA player. And he yells out, "Yeah, J. Y. Lock him up." So Allen Iverson backs up, smiles at me, and goes, "Lock me up, huh?" And then he comes full speed at me, <laughs> does an inside-out crossover. I don't look stupid because I didn't really go for the first move; he just kind of blew by me. And then he went and got an N one. Jackie Cobb fouled him, and then he made the free throw. Oh, so that's a I really kind of blame Donnell Williams on that one. <laughs> We, we got he a daniel Williams out, and he a, wasn't really doing anything, but standing on the block. So I'll, that was my AI story. I'll be honest, I wasn't
1: coming into the podcast expecting to give it a Jackie Cobb a daniel Williams <laughs> reference and in, in any of the backstories.
2: See, I'm I'm gonna am I'm gonna give it all to you. And I'll give you one other quick one. When uh when we played in at Georgetown against uh, um, Joey Brown and the guy, you know, Othello Harrington, that Georgetown team against John Thompson um we did not have danny hurley on the team and brian caver was actually suspended um for the game and it was a cbs game and basically we didn't have anybody else to bring the ball up the court so it was basically andre brown and john leahy were not your typical point guards were bringing the ball up the court um very unsuccessfully so pj um, calls my name out with 10 minutes to go in the first half and this is on cbs 12 o'clock game on a saturday um, so I go in the game and I have to guard Joey Brown, who is basically a four-year season veteran. Um, and as soon as John Thompson saw me guarding Joey Brown, he yelled, Green Joey, and you see his hand wave. And I look kind of over the, my right shoulder and everybody is standing on one side of the court. And then it's just me and Joey Brown. So I knew he was just going to take me one-on-one. First possession down the court, foul him. They take the ball out of bounds. Second possession, I back off him. He makes a shot. We go down on offense. Chris Davis jacks up a three within the first seven seconds of the shot clock. Then I knew I had to guard him again. We come down. I foul him again. There's a horn. I go to sit down. That was a that was my quick Georgetown. You're in. You're out on CBS. I lasted about a minute and a half at two fouls and gave up a, a two point shot. And John Thompson kind of just exposed me there. So yeah, Chris uh, Davis didn't do you br-
0: any Chris Davis didn't do you any favors on that one, did he? He, he did not. He
2: took. He took a quick one. I was hoping PJ was going to play zone, and he didn't do that either. So. Uh... You know it's funny because Bill Raftery actually did the game um, during. He did the call for that game, and I, I'm friendly with Mr. Raftery, and actually we were just talking about this like two weeks ago, and he remembers the game. Although he's done many games, so I don't, you know, I don't even know how he remembered that. But it's a pretty cool story. It didn't work. That wasn't that you know that good in my favor, but it, it's pretty cool that you know John Thompson uh, just cleared me out three times, and that was a, a quick in and out.
1: You had a couple other moments, though. I mean, I, I don't want you to slate yourself here. I mean, I, I read. Did my homework here and I read some backstory. There was a game against Stanford the following year, which you hit a pretty big shot, if I'm not mistaken. No. Uh,
0: yeah,
2: that was against uh, Brevin Knight. Uh, they had Brevin Knight at the. We were playing at the uh, at the Meadowlands, and it was a close game. Um, I think Shaheen uh, had gotten hurt real quick, and I went in the game. Um, I made a three. Um, they came down. It was I was tight end of the game, and then. Uh, you know, they, Stanford wind up winning. I think Shaheen missed the three at the buzzer. Um, but, yeah, you know, sometimes you just got to be ready, especially as a walk-on or even even a player who doesn't play too much, even if you're a scholarship player. You just don't know when you're going to get your opportunity. And those guys off the bench don't get a chance to be warm or do anything. You just got to be prepared. So right. that was one, again, you know, I made a shot, but, you know, the outcome wasn't the best.
1: I, I, think, I think Jan's uh, leaving himself a little short here for the audience. I, the way I read it was – Pirates are down three with about a buck thirty to go, and he, you know, he hits, a, he hits the, the game tying shot. How is the crowd reacting to you as a walk on hitting a game tying shot in that kind of scenario? Um,
2: you know, you know what's really weird about playing is you don't. I, I don't really notice the crowd. I don't know about other guys, but I don't really notice the crowd that much when I play. You're pretty focused on what's going on. It's only maybe during the timeouts. Um, Or some stoppages of play. So I think I hit the shot and obviously then they came down and and we were, you know Continuously playing so I don't really notice what's going on. You're so focused on I mean I was guarding Brevin Knight. who was a pretty good player So that was I was more focused on that than you know, I guess the crowd so uh, You know it was uh, it was pretty cool But again, I'm sure everybody was cheering just because it was a close game not necessarily because I hit the shot. (laughs)
0: Now, now, John, me and you finished up school about the same time. I, I went away, but every time I'd come home for, like, Christmas or something, I'd try to catch a game, and lo and behold, one Christmas break, I go to a, a Seton Hall-DePaul game, and I believe this was before DePaul joined the Big East, and there's J.Y. sitting on the DePaul bench. And I, don't, and I remember yelling over to you. You came over after the game, shook my hand, um, and it was, I was real excited. How would you get into coaching?
2: Um, you know what? After I finished playing, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew it was something involved in sports. I didn't necessarily know coaching. Um, and then what I did is, uh, you know, I did some stuff in the business world for a little bit. And then I wind up saying, you know what? I really want to give coaching a try. And that's kind of where I started the coaching tree with Bruce Hamburger. And I started working at Kane with him. Um, so I learned a lot there. And then I actually. Uh, next summer, I worked for the New York Liberty. Uh, I was a video coordinator for them. So I got to be at Madison Square Garden all summer. That was actually the year that the uh, New York Liberty made it to the finals for the WNBA. And then the Knicks also were in the finals against the Spurs. So it was a great time to be at the Garden. I learned a lot just being around that. I worked game nights for the Knicks. So I basically lived in the city and at the garden that whole summer, which was awesome. Uh, and then on from there, I actually got a call to be the video coordinator at the Paul, um, and that was my first stop in my coaching career at the Division One level. So went out there, and they had a great, great program with guys like Quentin Richardson and Bobby Simmons, who went on to be, uh, you know, good players in the NBA. And you know, that's where it started. I got my first basically Division One job that way.
0: And, and how, how did it all end? I mean, how did you decide you didn't want to do that anymore?
2: Um, you know what? From DePaul, I actually uh, went on to University of Hartford, the associate head coach there. uh got the head co- coaching job at University of Hartford and asked me to go. And I uh, did that for three years, and I really thought that was going to be my path, my career path. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be a head coach, obviously, of a Division One program. Um, but During the time there, I actually uh, um, started uh, to talk at the time to my girlfriend friend uh who then became my wife and we decided to get married and she had an, a business here in milltown new jersey kind of by rutgers um and uh decided hey one of us has got to give up what they're doing um coaching is, is you know not that easy in terms on the family life you're always moving you're always doing things so i decided to step away from that and uh, she had her established business and I got out of coaching. I still worked um, locally at the Hoop Group, which is here in New Jersey, um, with high school kids and putting on tournaments. And, and basically, I've been involved with basketball ever since, just not on the Division One level. So do I miss it? Sure, especially this time of year when it's about to get going. Um, and again, I always thought that's what I was going to do. But, you know, life takes different paths. And uh, I was happy to say I at least was a Division One assistant. Uh, for a short time so uh, you know it is what it is you move on and now I got two great kids and I just focus on their basketball so
1: would there ever be a, a job offer that could be thrown at you that you just couldn't say no to that would bring you back to back back into it maybe maybe I
2: should make a ploy to Danny Hurley since he's uh just got the UConn job this year and Maybe if he had an opening, I'd go up there. He'd be someone I'd love to work with. But, uh, you know, you never you never say never. And, uh, you know, my ears are always open. So if someone hears this and they want to offer me a coaching job, uh, <laughs> get my number from Tom and Mike.
0: <laughs> what is amazing, though, for the four years you were there, how many players uh, not necessarily made it into the NBA, AG made it into the NBA, but a lot of players got into coaching. You got Danny Hurley, like you mentioned, the UConn's coach. Uh, Shaheed Holloway is now at St. Pete's. AG's been assistant coach in different places. Arturis is a high exec in Denver. It's, it's amazing. Could, could, you yeah. ke- could you tell
1: that those guys had the pedigree to go on to coach from you know the experience of interacting with them on the court?
2: I could always say yes, and that would probably be the right answer. But, but you know, I'm going to say hey, those guys have really stepped up and did a great job to get where they are. And, um, you know, as a player, you never really I guess you never really think, hey, this guy is going to be a coach or that guy is going to be a coach. But they followed all their dreams and they all tried to obviously play first. And some of them did play for a long, long time uh, and then got into the coaching um, aspect of it, which is tremendous. I mean, basketball becomes a huge part of your life. And if you can make make a living doing it and and have fun doing something that uh, that's a great job like that, you know, it's great for them to, to be able to. To follow their career path like that, Lavelle Sanders is also a guy that played overseas, and he's also coaching a team over in Europe that he had played for for a long, long time. So, you know, he's another guy that went on to do it, um, you know, parlayed it into a not only a playing career but a coaching career as well.
0: It's yeah, fabulous. So we, we came up with, um, with with the final set of questions here, John. We, we're calling it our new segment. Our, it's called Walk the Plank. We're going to ask you to walk the plank, we're going to give you five rapid fire questions. We just want you to answer the top of your head, single answers, and uh, we'll see if you can walk the plank here, okay?
1: Right, okay, you, you got it. You ready, fire John? Away. Okay. Who was the best pirate that you've got to see play ball in your lifetime? Um, I'll
2: say Arturas.
1: What was your career high in a game at any level?
2: Uh, Probably say thirty in the rec center at Sea Hall. What
1: well, was Tommy guarding you? <laughs> uh,
2: I would add more if he was guarding me.
1: Question number three: What was the most intimidating road environment experience throughout your college career?
2: Um, I, I'd say Syracuse to have thirty plus thousand people uh, in a game in such mm-hmm. a big place. There is is by far um, very intimidating. Plus the the backdrop behind yeah. the basket is really hard to shoot there.
1: Who was your toughest cover in practice?
2: Uh, Brian Caver, just because he was 6'4", strong, and at the time I was a first-year player and he was a senior. So not only did he have the physical attributes, he was obviously very experienced as well.
1: All right, last question. Playing off your coaching background, if you had a chance to meet any coach, past or present, who would it be?
2: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you know what? Just, just from the sake of... Coach K being so successful. I'm not a huge Duke fan, but um, he does get his players to play hard um, and obviously go on to you know teach young kids who are most of the time freshmen with him and, and go very far in the tournament. So I always uh, uh, admire him. Like I said, I'm not a Duke fan, but he, he, he really does a good job and he's sustained it for a long, long time, obviously being at Duke for 30-plus years.
0: John, you have walked the plank. Thank you. Uh, John, you have given us... Uh, more legitimacy and more credibility than this show ever deserved. I, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking time out of your day and and talking with us. I, was...
2: I appreciate it. Obviously, we're coming from, from the right coast and the left coast. I'm always happy to do that. You guys have way better weather than we do. Um And hopefully if anybody's listening to this, tell their friend or someone they know who's a Theton Hall fan so they can follow the two of you guys. You guys do a great job. We're going to
1: hope that you've inspired other pirate greats to come on and continue this interview uh, process going forward as well.
0: Yes, thank you. And if I can help get get anybody
2: else on the program, let me know. Absolutely. Oh, oh,
0: you've just (laughs) stepped into it, John. You've just stepped into it. (laughs) All right, everybody. That was John Yablonski, JY. uh, Mike, how great was that?
1: Uh, you know what? You, you gave us some pretty good insight into that Rutgers game and, and beyond that I didn't
0: really know or had read about before. So that was, was kind of cool. I, I am just, uh, for full disclosure, uh, John and I did play on that intramural team together. That's how I have that connection. And I don't think, I think he was taking pity on us, or at least me. I, I think he was being nice. He said he could have scored more. He could have like, said he would have dropped 70 on you. <laughs> and it, John was a beast. John was an absolute beast our freshman year. When we played in that rec league, um, and it's and he's always been a great guy. Let, let
1: me ask you this: So he he gave you the backstory of you know I, the confidence could I make the team? You knowing him for being on the rec league, being his buddy. I mean, did people in his inner circle think
0: he was going to actually make this tryout? Absolutely. Yeah, you, you know the the thing about John was he was solid. You know his dribble was solid, his jumper was solid. He understood the game. You know it wasn't like. He wasn't this absolute physical beast where he could jump out of the stadium, but he couldn't do the little things. John, John was going to hit your foul shots. John was going to hit that jumper, you know. So we it, we knew he was making it. We knew who was he was going up against. We knew he was making it. Now, the guys that weren't at school that were trying out for the team—that's interesting. But no, he he had it. I knew he had it.
1: Uh, the, the night that he goes off for the twelve points on the fourth reason against Rutgers, you were alluding to the fact that you're watching the game up in your room and you're telling your mom to be quiet because he's going off and, and you're cheering it up. What was the reaction amongst that
0: circle of friends again that he had? I, I don't know what the reaction was with those guys. I mean, I knew them to a certain extent, but I think everybody was just so happy for him because John's John a, a really friendly guy. He was always a great guy. So I think – and he never, like, blew his, – his head never blew up after he made the team. So it was just always very positive. He was making those shots and I was just ecstatic for him, you know, that he was having his moment in the sun. It's great.
1: No, it's 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 a really cool experience. I mean, most of the time we're, we're taking for granted the walk on player on the current roster and he actually had an
0: impact. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, that's going to be wrapping it up for our second podcast, our special interview podcast. Um, we do, I want to say special thank you to our first sponsor, Chocolate Toast Studios. If you like comics, children's stories, or just plain old art, visit Chocolate Toast Studios. They were the creators of the Left Coast Pirates logo. And they've got. And my man Haji Vanderveer has got a bunch of great art out there. Check him out. It's awesome.
1: Thank you all. And uh, we'll probably get back to you guys somewhere in the middle of the out-of-conference uh, schedule. or. Going into January 1st before we kick off the big E season.
0: Have yourselves a wonderful day. This has been Left Coast Pirates Live.